Hi everyone, it's so good to be able to be with you again in this way today. And wherever you are, please know that I have been thinking of you during this week and that I'm praying that God would speak to each one of us powerfully through his word today. Sir Henry Bartle was the British commissioner in India back in the 1800s. When he returned to England from India, his carriage was sent to the village station to pick him up. The coachman was new, and he was a bit unsure of how he would recognise Sir Bartle, and so he asked his mother, How will I recognise him? And Sir Bartle's aged mother replied, Look out for someone who is helping someone else. Sure enough, when the train came into the station, the coachman saw a man helping an old lady onto the platform and then jumping back into the carriage to carry out her luggage. It was Sir Bartle. Last time we were together, we had a look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 7 to 11, and we saw how Peter reminded us that the end of all things is near. One day... Soon, Jesus will return to renew all things. And Peter went on to speak about five areas that should be affected through our meditating on the sure and certain return of Jesus. Contemplating Jesus' return should affect our minds, how we think about the world and the things of the world. It should affect our prayers it should affect our love for one another. It should affect how we view and use our resources. We should be using our time and energy and money and other resources to help expand the gospel message. And thinking about Jesus' return should give us a fresh desire to serve one another. We briefly looked at this last time. But I'd like us to have a look at verses 10 and 11 in a bit more detail today, because I believe that they are important for us. I'm going to read our passage from the English Standard Version of the Bible, because it gives us a slightly more literal translation, which will be helpful for us as we study today. Let's have a look. Peter writes, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very words of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. There's an awful lot for us in these two short verses, but let's try and tackle them by looking at a couple of things that Peter tells us here. Peter begins these verses by telling us that each of us have received a gift from God, as each has received a gift. Notice a couple of things here under this point. Firstly, notice that these are gifts. In other words, they do not come from ourselves. They come from God. 
I think that's an important thing to remember because it fosters humility within us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul asks the Corinthian Christians, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Next, notice that each of us has a gift, as each has received. The Apostle Paul also states this explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he discusses spiritual gifts. He says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And after listing the gifts, he says again, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And then Peter speaks about the fact that these gifts are varied. In the second part of verse 10, he says that we are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter uses a word here that means diverse, manifold, literally multicolored. And so, as one writer puts it, the prism of God's gifts in your life will refract shades of divine glory that would never come through my prism. In fact, although Peter doesn't state this explicitly in these verses, I would go so far as to say that each one of us is a gift to God's church. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Rick Warren speaks about all the different things God has given us that can be used in the lives of others. He speaks about us having a particular shape, and he uses that word as an acronym for all that God has given us. And we don't have time to look at this in detail, but let me mention what he says. Under S, each of us has a spiritual gift. When we become Christians, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, and he gives us certain abilities that we didn't have before we became Christians. H, we each have a particular heart, something that we are passionate about. So some Christians are passionate about children and children's work. Other Christians are passionate about evangelism. A, each of us have been given abilities. These may be different from spiritual gifts because we had them before we became Christians, but uh, they are just as important as spiritual gifts because it is God who has given us these abilities. You won't find the gift of piano playing in the Bible, but it's an important gift. P. God has given each one of us a different personality. Some people are outgoing and vivacious. Others are more inward-looking and contemplative with all of the different shades in between those two extremes. And E, each one of us have experiences. We have different educational and family and work and spiritual experiences which make up who we are and influence how we can help one another. We even have painful experiences which God can use in the lives of others. 
I love what Rick Warren says in this regard. I find it so encouraging and hopeful. He says, God never wastes a hurt. The very thing that you're most embarrassed about in your life, the very thing you resent the most, the very experience that you wish had never happened, the very thing about your appearance that you would like to change, the very hurt that caused you pain in your life that you resent, either by others or you brought on yourself, it really doesn't matter. But the thing that you're most ashamed of and want to hide in the closet is the very thing that God wants to make your greatest ministry, if you'll have the courage to be open and be honest. Who could better help the parents of a special needs child than the parents of a special needs child? And who could better help someone going through the pain of a divorce than someone who has been through a divorce? And who could help someone struggling with an addiction than someone who has struggled with an addiction? And who better to help someone who was molested or raped than someone who was molested or raped? God never wastes a hurt, and he will turn it around and use it for good in your ministry if you'll have the courage to be real and honest, because even the painful experiences are used to shape us. So each one of us today has something to contribute to the Church of God. Elsewhere in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible gives us some lists of specific gifts that God gives. Uh, just to say that even those lists probably aren't intended to be exhaustive. Peter doesn't give us a detailed list. Rather, he describes two broad categories of gifts. Firstly, there are speaking gifts. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the very words of God. Peter isn't just thinking about our day-to-day -day speech here. He's referring to gifts like preaching and teaching and prophesying and words of wisdom and words of knowledge, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And then there are serving gifts. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. These action gifts would include gifts of healing, gifts of mercy, gifts of administration, helps, leadership, and faith. And these are supposed to be seen and used within the church. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. I think that sadly some of our church structures don't allow for everyone to use their gifts in a Sunday service. Often what tends to happen is that just a few people get to use their gifts. In our own congregation at the moment, our in-person services are quite informal. And I'm hoping that we have more of a family feel. We're asking people to share up front what God has been doing in their lives. We're encouraging one another to pray for each other. And hopefully we will do that more and more. 
But perhaps another idea would be to promote small groups, a weekly or bi-weekly meeting of a few families and individuals where we can begin to serve others through the various gifts that God has given to the group. Point one, though, is that each of us have been given varied gifts by God, and we all have something to contribute. Secondly, in these verses, Peter tells us that these gifts are to be used to serve one another. This is a vital point. In fact, I was trying every which way to shape this sermon so that this point came first. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Often when we read these verses, we want to jump straight to the idea of these gifts. What are they? How do we find them? And how do we use them? But I think that that approach tends to focus on the gifts themselves rather than to focus on the purpose for which the gifts are given. And the purpose of the gifts always has to be kept front and centre. Peter tells us that the reason that we have these gifts is in order to serve one another. We sometimes refer to the gifts as ministries the ministry of teaching, the ministry of prophecy. Sometimes we use that word ministry in different ways. We might say that someone has an anointed worship ministry, by which we mean that God really uses them to bless others through their worship leading. We sometimes say that after the service we will have a time of ministry, by which we mean that we will pray for others, perhaps praying particularly for healing. We refer to people entering the ministry, by which we mean that men and women are called and trained and set apart for full-time work in the church. We even refer to those people as ministers. But in all of this, it's vital to remember that the word minister means servant, and the word ministry means service. I think that's a vital distinction. In my own life, I believe that God has given me a gift of preaching and teaching, or the ministry of preaching. I love preaching. I love studying God's Word. I love tracking down just the right words and the right stories and the right illustrations to get God's Word across to people. I love listening to preaching. When I hear good preaching, I'm madly scribbling notes and trying to remember the good stories so I can use them in my own sermons. But there is a problem. It's possible for me to focus so much on the gift of preaching that I forget the purpose of that gift. The purpose of the gift is to serve others. Sometimes it may happen that I get so excited about a text and about all the background and how it links to other Bible passages and how it contrasts some of the secular literature of its day, and I can present a highly polished and professional and academically strong sermon, but while it is interesting, it doesn't actually serve the people to whom I'm preaching. 
It reminds me of one man who said somewhat sarcastically that some pastors think that people come to church with an overwhelming desire to know who the Hittites were. And what is true of preaching can be true of any other ministry too. Mike Pierce was a lecturer at London Bible College a few years ago, and he wrote a thin little book about ministry called Who's Feeding Whom? At one point in the book, he says this about his ministry of lecturing to students. My danger was, and still is, of seeing the students as so much cannon fodder, ready to be bombarded with the things that I have discovered to be important. But I have needed to learn that what really confronts me is people. None of them is a blank sheet for me to write upon. As long as I am thinking only about my academic discipline and the exciting things they can learn from it, I am treating these brothers and sisters as objects, as a means to an end, and my end at that, rather than God's, if I'm not careful. In the introduction to that same book, he writes this, Ministry has become far too self-conscious. Most of our thinking about ministry focuses on the one doing the ministering. As long as I am seeking my ministry, hoping to refine it so that it becomes better and more admirable, asking God's blessing upon it, and so really upon me, then I have not begun to take hold of Jesus' call upon my life at all. Ministry means service. What is certain is that we cannot really serve as long as we are thinking about ourselves. Many years ago, Richard Foster wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, uh, habits that can help us grow in our relationship with God, uh, prayer, fasting, reading God's word, studying. And one of the disciplines that he outlined was this very one of service, let me read a slightly summarized section of his book, because I think it beautifully and challengingly sums up this concept of service. He says, Self-focused service comes through human effort. It expends immense amounts of energy calculating and scheming how to render the service so we can help those people. True service comes from a relationship with God deep inside. We serve out of whispered promptings, divine urgings. Self-focused service enjoys serving, especially when the service is titanic. True service finds it almost impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Self-focused service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks human applause. True service rests contented in hiddenness. The divine nod of approval is completely sufficient. Self-focused service is highly concerned about results. It becomes bitter when the results fall beyond expectations. True service is free of the need to calculate results. 
It delights only in the service. Self-focused service picks and chooses whom to serve. Sometimes the high and powerful are served because that will ensure a certain advantage. Sometimes the low and defenceless are served because that will ensure a humble image. True service is indiscriminate in its ministry. It has heard the command of Jesus to be the servant of all. Self-focused service is affected by moods and whims. True service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. Self-focused service is insensitive. It insists on meeting the need even when to do so would be destructive. It demands the opportunity to help. True service can withhold the service as freely as perform it. It can listen with tenderness and patience before acting. Self-focused service fractures community. In the final analysis, it centers in the glorification of the individual. True service builds community. It quietly and unpretentiously goes about caring for the needs of others. This idea that gifts are there to serve others can help us when it comes to the question of how we discover our gifts. I'm sure that many of you in years past would have gone along to a spiritual gifts workshop where people would take the lists of gifts that we have in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and then get you to fill out a long questionnaire. Do you enjoy having people in your home? Do you enjoy speaking in public? And then at the end of that, you'd tally up your score and they'd say in effect, ta-da, this is what your gift is. Now, that may be helpful, but if you really want to know what your gift is, then start serving other people around you, particularly those within the church. But have a mindset of helping and serving people wherever you are. Start being a steward of God's grace. And over time, you may be able to see a pattern. I really enjoy and people really benefit when I serve people in this way. There will also be some times where God uses you in a unique way. You've never been used by God in that way before and maybe you never will be again. You're praying for someone and you suddenly feel led by God to pray for healing for that person and that person is healed. Or you have a sense that maybe God wants you to say something particular to that person, and they find it so helpful. In other words, there may well be patterns that emerge in your life. You really are a good teacher of God's Word, and that becomes almost a permanent thing. And then there may be more occasional acts of God's grace through you. But it all comes through genuinely seeking to serve others, to give to others God's grace, which you yourself have freely received from him. Please also notice the mutuality of service. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The idea that I use my gifts to serve you and you use your gifts to serve me, helps avoid the idea or the perception or the feeling of Christian elitism that I 
am going to serve you. We recognise that everyone has a gift and that there are times in which I need to be served by others too. So if you don't get anything else out of these verses, I do pray that you will get the main thought that as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we are to seek to serve one another and build one another up in our faith through the various gifts that God has given us. Our attitude should be the same as that of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Thirdly in this passage, Peter describes how we are to use these gifts. He says we are to use them as stewards of God's grace. A steward is someone who takes care of property that is not his or her own. And we see that both the speaking and serving gifts are to be seen not as our own. They're not to come primarily from us. Verse 11, as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the very words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So when it comes to the speaking gifts, we're not to let our words dominate, but let God's words dominate. And when it comes to the serving gifts, we aren't to let our strength dominate, but rather God's strength dominate. And that has an important practical application for us. How do I speak the very words of God to someone? How do I do acts of service for others with the strength that God gives? It's through spending both formal and informal time with God. So, formal time. Setting aside time each day to read God's word. That's listening to his voice. Because as I listen to his voice and read his words, it allows me to speak the very words of God to others. And then also time in praying to him. That's seeking the strength that God gives. It's impossible to serve others if you're not doing that. But aside from the more formal times with God, I believe there are also informal times. Just being aware of his presence. Just asking him, Lord, what would you like me to do in this situation? Just sending up a quick prayer before I lead the Bible study or before I volunteer to pray for someone else. Dr. Paul Brand was once speaking to a medical college in India in a very rural area on Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And on the lectern was an old oil lamp with its cotton wick burning from the shallow dish of oil. And as he was preaching, the lamp ran out of oil. Uh, the wick burned dry and the smoke came out and made him cough. He immediately used the opportunity. Some of us are like this wick, he said. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness, 
rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly and without irritating smoke, if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply. And fourthly, in these verses, Peter describes the results of us using these gifts. Each of us has a gift to serve one another as stewards of God's grace, so that God may be praised. Verse 11, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the acid test of whether we are truly ministering or whether we are merely working. You see, these verses tell us that the one who does the work gets the praise. If it is our words and our strength, then we will get the praise, and that is all. But if it is God's words and God's strength, then he will get the praise. That's a sobering thought. If God is truly at work, then he will get the praise. And from whom will God receive praise? Well, two groups of people, I believe. Firstly, God will receive praise from the very people to whom I am ministering. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes how he had been a persecutor of the Christian church, but how he had met Jesus and his life had been turned around. And he describes how the churches in Judea heard about this. And he says, They heard the report, The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. When I'm relying on God's strength, it will be pretty clear to people that the service that I am engaging in and the blessing that they are receiving from that service can't possibly be because of me. Uh, Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I heard about a man who was invited by a friend to visit a particular church in London back in the 1800s. And after the service, this friend asked him, So what did you think? And the man replied, What a wonderful preacher! A few weeks later, this man was invited by his friend to visit the Metropolitan Tabernacle, where the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon was speaking. And as they came away from the church, the man's friend asked again, So what did you think? And the man replied, What a wonderful saviour. When ministry is truly done in God's strength, God receives glory. And secondly, when I truly minister with God's strength, God receives praise from me. When I see that my efforts, combined with God's enabling, have made a difference in the lives of others, then it will lead me to praise God. In the context of First Peter, I remind myself that God has called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. Before I knew God, I wasn't really fit for anything. 
I was stuck in the empty way of life handed down to me from my ancestors. But now I am part of a royal priesthood, serving God, and I can be used by him in the lives of others. And that leads me to praise. Lord, when I think of who I am and what I have done, I am amazed that not only do you forgive my sins, but you so transform my life to the point that you allow me to serve you. Thank you. True ministry, true service of others, results in praise. When I first became a minister, let me use that word. It's a good reminder to myself that I am a servant. But when I first set out, there was a lovely friend of my parents, an older gentleman who took an interest in me. He lived in England, and he gave me a little book by the pastor and Bible commentator Warren Wearsby. The book is entitled, On Being a Servant of God. It's a book about what it means to be a minister, whether that's with a capital M or a small m. As he says, it doesn't really make a difference. And right at the beginning of the book, he gives a definition of ministry, around which he organizes much of the rest of his book, and which I've never forgotten. He says this, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. I don't know if he was basing his definition on 1 Peter chapter 4, but you can clearly see all of those elements in this passage. Each of us has a gift given by God to each of us, a large variety of gifts to serve one another as stewards of God's grace so that God may be praised. May God grant us his grace in the week that lies ahead to love and faithfully serve everyone around us to the extension of his kingdom and to the glory of his name. Amen.